This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. Thank you very much, Jennifer. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling honored uh, by this, uh, really. And I like the campus very much. The university is... It looks pretty and it looks very nice, so uh, so I'm, I'm really happy to be here. <coughs> I try to be louder, uh, as I see that it might not be heard from uh, from back seats. So uh, today's talk uh, will be uh, I gave a kind of general title actually. Uh, however, I think I found a good title uh, in the sense that uh, it more or less explains uh, what uh, we faced in terms of radical changes over the past decade, past more than a decade in, uh, in Turkey. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the religion is, is one of the dimensions uh, of that. And uh, democratization, uh, we can name democratization Turkey, uh, Turkey's transformation because, you know, recently you have been hearing about Turkey as, you know, going more and more authoritarian because of uh, Turkish uh, ex-prime minister and current uh, president's, uh, you know, words and acts and, you know, and you might have heard uh, extensively about what happened in Turkey after the Gezi Park events uh, two years ago. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I try to uh, frame it not as, uh, as authoritarianization, still I frame it as democratization in the sense that, you know, uh, Turkish politics Politics has been r radically transformed over the past uh, few years, and uh, we have seen uh, more, uh, you know, civic involvement of politics. More, I would say, uh, deliberations and discussions on some key crucial issues on Turkish politics, from Kurdish question to uh, place of Islam in Turkish politics to the minority rights, etc. So. Turkish politics turned to be uh, slightly open to challenges from outside and uh, and you know uh, bottom up pressures from uh, inside uh, uh, and uh, and uh, and since uh, 2002 Turkey has been governed by a single party government uh, led by the Justice and Development Party and uh, this party gained consecutively uh, three elections uh, general elections uh, three uh, you know, local elections, one presidential election, <laughs> and now we are approaching to another uh, uh, another general election in uh, in June, and uh, you know they uh, it still keeps uh, you know the rec recent surveys show that it still keeps uh, more or less 40 percentage of the votes in its pocket, so uh, uh, there is a high probability that they might gain this election too. But you know, uh, but the Turkish politics has been you know uh, seriously shaken by. Uh, by the pressures of other forces, from the Kurdish uh, groups to uh, you know other societal groups, civic uh, groups, uh, I would say civil society groups, etc. So Turkish politics turned to be more uh, 
pluralize and also more polarize at the same time. Uh, however, there the, the 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 space for deliberation t uh, turned to be uh, slightly open than uh, before because I was you know uh, I was able to live and you know become part of those changes over the past more than a decade and I was able to follow it closely and uh, most of my articles uh, were on those uh, those processes of changes. Uh, I did my PhD on Spanish transition. I looked at more how international context affects. Those domestic transformation. Then I moved uh, my studies more onto Turkish Turkish politics uh, from the uh, early 2000 onwards. So uh, I was able to uh, follow it uh, in that respect. And I was able to follow how it's how Turkish foreign policy has been transformed to. You know, Turkey has been uh, relatively uh, open to negotiations in uh, most of the critical foreign policy issues too, from Cyprus uh, to Armenian issue to, you know, uh, to other uh, foreign policy uh, issues or, uh, that is considered as taboo in Turkish uh, the Turkish foreign relations. Uh, so I, I will name it again uh, slightly as a democratization, not authoritarianization uh, of, of Turkey's politics. Of course, these uh, the, 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 and one of the most important, uh, at, uh, I would say, uh, you know, dimension of uh, the Turkey's transformation over the past more <coughs> than a decade is is the European dimension, because you know Turkey's relations with the EU goes back to the post. Uh, post-war period from the late 1950s onwards Turkey's Turkey uh, you know had uh, had close relations with the West in general but also its relations with the European Union and then the European Economic Community was uh, relatively one of the earliest uh, ones which projected membership uh, etc although we are not still a member of the EU uh, e e European dimension turned to be more and more critical dimension of Turkey's domestic politics from the late 1970s and early 1980s onwards. When the military coup d'etat occurred in 1980, uh, the European approach towards uh, Turkish politics uh, was slightly different from the American ones, uh, which, you know, uh, we know that they supported the coup and the, the Europeans said uh, no, uh, because they were the ones who suffered from uh, the results of the coup. Uh, flood of, uh, you know, uh, asylum seekers, refugees going to Europe and they saw and they were much more near than uh, than uh, other countries, uh, other, you know, other uh, part of the Western Alliance to what happens in, 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 in Turkey. And uh, we see that this European dimension has been, you know, uh, uh, slightly uh, more and more uh, uh, an integral part of Turkey's domestic transformation because uh, when Turkey applied in 1987 uh, officially for the membership and the response was uh, quite uh, frank uh, by the Europeans, uh, you know, resolve the Kurdish issue, resolve the Armenian issue, resolve the Cyprus issue, and they, were, they outlined uh, a list of uh, resolutions uh, of uh, serious conflicts both inside and outside of Turkey's political spectrum. Then uh, in 1995 um, the, the Customs Union Agreement came, uh, the uh, Turks thought that uh, this would 
bring membership. It didn't. Uh, later, the relations entered to crisis in 1997. But, but from 1999 onwards, uh, the things had uh, a, a, a serious change. I mean, to, uh, especially uh, the the, uh, the, uh, the European side started to look at the Turkish case from a more positive angle, and this uh, seriously affected what happens in Turkey. Uh, Turkey was granted as an official candidate. Um, uh, for EU membership in 1999 in Helsinki summit and from then on Turkish transformation gained a momentum in the sense that Turkey thought uh, there is a positive signal that we could be a member uh, soon or in the midterm and the negotiations will start. From then onwards Turkey issued uh, seven reform packages. Some of them are very critical about uh, the topic that I'm now uh, going to go on. Uh, so, uh, the, the, uh, and this uh, was an important, uh, actually, change in, in, in Turkey's politics. And from 1999 onwards, we saw that Europe is more than ever a part of the, Turkey's domestic transformation. And uh, especially the third reform package, uh, which was issued in August 2002, uh, was an important uh, reform package. It granted, uh, first of all, it abolished the death penalty. Uh, it granted uh, minority foundations uh, to regain their property rights to and their properties. And also it gave uh, an important signal uh, to the uh, domestic uh, politics in terms of uh, granting uh, right of broadcasting in languages other than Turkish, which refers basically to Kurdish. So uh, this, that that third reform package, which created also a, a kind of earthquake in, in Turkish politics in August 2002, that the tripartite coalitions of coalition of the time collapsed, and the Justice and Development Party, uh, which governs the country since then, came to power uh, after that reform package because. Um, one of the coalition partners, the Nationalist Action Party, Nationalist Party, said, you know, we can uh, approve this package, but we want elections. So the, uh, so the Ejevit government, Bülent Ejevit, who is famous with uh, his decision to intervene in Cyprus in 1974, uh, said, okay, uh, then they went to elections and they lost elections terribly, actually. Uh, this current party came to power there with more, the slightly more than 30 percentage of the votes, but uh, gained a majority government. So the, uh, and since then they are uh, in power they were they and uh, and we see when you look at the economic and political uh, analysis statistics they they were able to bring a kind of stability to turkish politics they were able to bring uh, a slightly good economic growth uh, and uh, their foreign policy until recently uh, was uh, kind of celebrated by both by the americans and by the europeans uh, because this uh, zero problem zero uh, <coughs> problems uh, with neighbor uh, with neighbors for uh, I mean, that is the label of their foreign policy, uh, uh, functioned uh, or uh, was approved uh, by the Europeans, uh, which, uh, which were, you know, celebrating, uh, who, were, who, were, who were a pro, uh, who were, let me say, uh, supporting this idea of peaceful coexistence uh, of the accession uh, countries and also their neighborhood policy. European neighborhood policy was more or less based on the same principles of, you know, 
functionalist ideas of uh, opening trade, opening borders with neighbors, etc. So uh, they, their, uh, their <coughs> approach was uh, was uh, was slightly approved by by the West. Until recently, this was the case, really. Uh, I, I would say until 2008. Uh, even after 2008, uh, they were still, uh, you know, uh, this was a government which was uh, celebrated by. Um, by many circles in, in the West, uh, that is what I'm seeing. However, in this respect, uh, the, you know, the, the religious dimension, I should probably touch in a larger uh, you know, uh, subtitle here. Because um, <coughs> when you, uh, when you l look at uh, the, 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 the regime that was established, uh, in the 1920s, after the collapse of the of the Ottoman Empire, the, that regime, uh, which is called Kemalist regime, which was based on the principles of Mustafa Kemal Atatürk, and, and the, one of the most important principles was was laicite, was secularism, secular character of the republic was you know uh, underlined uh, the, the, uh, a lot, and it was probably one of the most integral characters of the regime, uh, and this was kept uh, very seriously uh, and um, and and the is uh, and uh, and islam was uh, not uh, taught as the other but it was not uh, uh, was not actually the main uh, ideology of the regime it, it was the secularism it was the like uh, character of the regime and uh, i put here three uh, uh, three i would say uh, lines, uh, because uh, when you uh, when you look at the, uh, the uh, religion and state relations, uh, state relations in in Turkey, the discussion when you look at the literature is based on political Islam and religion, political Islam and state, etc. So, so the uh, the religious phenomenon in Turkey was mainly shaped by uh, by the secular character of the state and the regime. Kemalist regime and and its um, uh, its relations with Islam. So, however, I I thought and that is why I I argue and that is what actually the EU uh, framework revealed us that Turkey's uh, relation or or state religion relations or religion democracy relations in Turkey has three dimensions. One is political Islam. Islam. The other is Alevis. Uh, a religious minority uh, within Islam, and but uh, not uh, institutionalized as uh, a separate uh, religion from Islam, and uh, non-Muslim, non-Muslims, and this was framed as uh, a minority issue in uh, the case of uh, Turkey because uh, Turkish Republic when it was founded after the Treaty of Lausanne uh, granted uh, minority rights uh, to non-Muslims uh, so uh, the, when you when the when the, when the, lip, when the literature speaks about uh, state religion relations they don't speak uh, about uh, non-Muslims as uh, as within the framework and uh, the European Union which uh, we which we see in the Commission report which is which are published 
on Turkey since 1998 because, you know, European Union publishes reports for the candidate countries uh, since 1993 uh, and, uh, and it started to publish com uh, reports uh, about Turkey, annual reports, uh, on, uh, from 1998 onwards. And uh, we see that <laughs> this both Two issues are uh, un uh, framed under the title of freedom of belief, belief, or freedom of religion, and this is <laughs> not uh, framed as a separate issue in terms of religion. This is freedom of expression. Of expression, interestingly. So, uh, you know, the academic literature and the, and the commission documents uh, give us different <laughs> lines of that. And I uh, try to say in this uh, topic, apart from general democratization, uh, improvement of the uh, situation of the Kurds, improvement in terms of freedom of expression, in terms of, you know, uh, other aspects of democratization, we see from, uh, from two, especially from 2002 onwards, uh, a slight improvement in, uh, in all these three aspects of state-religion relations. So, uh, the, uh, Tur uh, Turkish uh, politics in that respect, the Kemalist regime in that respect, uh, faced a serious transformation uh, from uh, 1999 Helsinki summit onwards, but especially 2002 onwards. So this also corresponds to general literature on Europeanization, meaning that the European impact on domestic uh, affairs. Uh, and uh, we, can name, uh, we can name various scholars who did work on this uh, issue, and uh, most of my papers on are on this uh, how international context and international actors affect uh, domestic change. And I see that uh, in addition to overall uh, transformation of poli uh, Turkey's, uh, Turkey's politics, uh, the European Union had clear effects on this very, very regime uh, problematic. Do you, do you see what I'm uh, trying to say? So, so the Kemalist regime faced very serious challenges, and you, you can follow it uh, in um, those uh, in those uh, in those commission reports, and you can follow it from de facto events. Because first of all, when you look at the political Islam case, you see uh, Turkey, you know, was uh, as I mentioned from the beginning was. Uh, you know, uh, was, uh, was considered as a secular state and, and it, it excludes religion, especially uh, political, political Islam from, uh, from governing uh, bodies, levels, etc. And uh, one of the latest coup d'etats, uh, uh, which took place in 1996, was basically considered a postmodern coup d'etat. was uh, done against, uh, a, uh, against a coalition government, uh, but uh, mainly it was uh, uh, it was done against uh, the religiously oriented welfare party so so the, the so the islamists actually uh, the, in their first experience in 1990s in their first experience of government in 1996 faced a serious blow from the uh, the top uh, bureaucracy, uh, from foreign ministry, from uh, you know, uh, from the, the uh, from from the army, so they uh, they had to leave the government. Uh, but from 1996 
to let's say 1999 here Helsinki summit uh, to 2002 uh, <coughs> uh, the the Islamists were able to uh, came to power in 2002, of course, as a result of a big economic crisis and political crisis. In 2001, Turkey with, uh, with Argentina suffered one of the most uh, serious economic crises. And in, in 2002, as I mentioned uh, before, uh, they suffered a, a serious political crisis and the coalition government uh, simply collapsed. And the, uh, and the Justice and Development Party, AKP, let's say, uh, Adalet ve Kalkınma Partisi came to power in 2002 and it came to power as an interestingly pro-EU uh, coalition of political forces, political and social forces. They named themselves as conservative Democrat. But uh, in terms of the coalition of forces that supports that party, they were, you know, uh, taking the support of uh, small and medium enterprises in uh, in Anatolia, big business. They were, you know, they they together with all these secular forces, I would say, uh, economic and strong forces, they were able to lobby uh, at the at the European <coughs> Union, and uh, and we we know very well that from 2002 to 2002. To 2005, let's say, uh, I'm sorry, 2005, when the negotiations with the EU started, uh, in that interval, uh, Just and Development Party received serious uh, pressures from the side of army because they wanted to deviate from the serious. Uh, foreign policy issue, Cyprus issue, and the army did not allow them to do. And we know that f from various cases mm, that were, you know, opened after that, uh, judicial cases, uh, that <laughs> just send the party was under serious power, and the and the EU. EU <laughs> option was the savior of that party actually because they uh, the Europeans saw them as the agents of democracy uh, and uh, many of the uh, let's say social coalition forces saw them as that and they saw that there is a possibility of two uh, opening negotiations so the so the EU had the political Islamists actually to gain uh, uh, a quite legitimate post in um, uh, uh, legitimate, uh, uh, quite serious legitimacy uh, in the in the general political spectrum of Turkey, and in 2008, when uh, the, uh, the 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 closure case was opened against that party, again uh, you uh, guys, uh, Manuel Bar Barroso came to Turkey, and uh, you, uh, uh, the head of. Uh, uh, enlargement came to Turkey. They they took uh, the Just and Development Party from uh, the hang, you know, how to say, Darajından aldılar, from the. Yes, yes. Uh, so this is uh, the story that you know uh, that you can follow. That uh, the, the political Islam actually, uh, thanks to the EU uh, f uh, framework, thanks to the EU opening, uh, gained a serious legitimacy in that case. Uh, and this is the case for the Alevis too. Uh, although we will see the crash of all of them. Uh, later, because uh, then uh, we will see that uh, the, <laughs> the democratic dem demands of 
these two uh, groups actually uh, did not uh, correspond with, uh, the <laughs> with the authoritarian and the governing claims of the political Islamists of today. Uh, so the Alevis, uh, you know, this, uh, this is a heterodox group of, uh, of, uh, of religious people in Turkey. Mainly, most of them are Turkomans and, uh, and uh, of course there are also uh, a slightly uh, small minority of the Arab Alevis who lives in around Antioch and Urfa, etc., the southern provinces, but they are mainly uh, Turkomans, and they, uh, you know, during uh, since the Ottoman times, they were never recognized as a separate religion outside of of uh, of the Islamist Ummah, I would say. Uh, the, you help them in two respects. First of all, when you look at uh, the commission reports uh, uh, under the freedom of belief and freedom of religion uh, uh, title, you always underline that uh, their special place of worship is never recognized. Their leaders of religion uh, are not, uh, you know, their dead, what we call dede or grandfather, uh, are not recognized, are not finance and their uh, beliefs are not recognized and the compulsory uh, religious education in Turkey uh, doesn't recognize uh, them as separate. So, so the EU actually brought the Alevi case very strongly uh, as part of uh, Turkey's uh, religious freedom issue and uh, they did also something uh, very particular especially in Germany and, and Austria uh, the, the <coughs> And they were uh, able to gain legitimacy uh, as separate from uh, uh, from uh, the Sunni community, Sunni Turk Turkish com community who lived there. Their, their belief were, uh, were taken to uh, to religious textbooks, and the textbooks general in uh, primary and secondary schools. Of course, this uh, communitarian practice there affects the the Ale Alevis in uh, in Turkey, and they look uh, and and they show uh, the uh, the, um, <coughs> the, the the government that look uh, the Alevis are having uh, and their identity is recognized there why don't you do it here so uh, the government the Justice and Development Party government since 2006 uh, uh, arranged kind of opening there so the politicians go to their religious ceremonies some Jemevi uh, uh, their religious place uh, were granted some special uh, uh, privileges and uh, and the municipalities were able to finance their costs etc and uh, the the just and the open party also opened uh, uh, made an opening towards the alevis they made them uh, they made <laughs> six or uh, sorry seven seven alevi workshops you know deliberations with the heads of alevi scholars and representatives and the Sunnis they were sitting almost 400 uh, uh, members of the community from the Alevi side and the, from the Sunni side including the religious directorate who is responsible all these uh, started to sit and uh, the, discuss the issue etc uh, but we see that from the third workshop onwards they did not uh, the Alevis were not very convinced convinced that the that, that the justice and development party and the state uh, 
uh, was seriously, you know, uh, involving or uh, responding to their demands. Instead of <coughs> being deliberative, I would say, they saw uh, the Alevi opening of the government as therapeutic. Is it a cor correct word? It's a kind of therapy, social te therapy. It's not, it's not seriously negotiating. So, so the, the Alevis, uh, you know, uh, became uh, awakened uh, and also gained some good instruments from the European practices and the European Union with, the, uh, with uh, its reports and its, you know, declarations etc. brought the Alevi issue very well and pressurized the government to deal with that. Actually, uh, they told the they told the Islamists, uh, the AK Party guys, uh, that uh, you know uh, the EU saves uh, you, saves your democracy, uh, but at the same time you are expected to uh, open that democratic space to other uh, groups in the country. Uh, until now, we see that they have not been very successful. So the Alevi demands were not uh, responded by the Just Send Development Party, except for few, uh, you know, uh, cosmo, 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 cosmetic, uh, you know, moves, etc., etc. So in regards to non-Muslim minorities, this is a special thing. As you see, uh, this is actually a religious issue, but this is framed as a minority issue because the Lausanne Treaty, which establishes the Republic, frames it as a minority issue. Uh, but uh, the European Union takes it under the freedom of religion issue because actually it's a freedom of religion issue. Uh, I mean, in, in basic terms. Uh, you know, there is this uh, system which is called Millet, Millet system in, in the Ottoman uh, Empire. The, uh, the Ottomans uh, granted uh, uh, the government of internal affairs of the religious communities to the heads of religious communities okay so they uh, you know they were managing their churches their marriages their domestic uh, problems etc etc so there was the, this millet system and the umma these are the uh, muslims were consist constituting the two different uh, <laughs> angles of ottoman public actually and the millet system uh, <coughs> uh, you know millets were not foreigners actually millets were part of the ottoman system millets were part of, uh, of the ottoman social structure they were not foreigners but the republic made them foreigners uh, unfortunately so the republic <coughs> Turkish Republic, let's say, which was established in 1923 by the Lausanne Treaty, uh, took them as something out of the nation. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Ottomans, in, uh, you see from the late Ottoman period, from the 19th century onwards, wanted to build a constitution based on a citizenship on territorial level, including all these millets and the ummah, uh, to the same level, okay? But uh, there, the Republic uh, you know, actually reversed the situation, despite the idea that they are all citizens. You know, they, they rhetorically, uh, they brought them, uh, uh, you know, rhetorically, uh, Republic brought the citizenship idea, but separated the non-Muslims uh, as minorities. And minority, uh, actually, in Turkish context, is quite a derogatory term. It's not uh, the term 
like you see in uh, the European practice. Minority is something equal, special, and to be treated, uh, in, uh, you know, seriously. But in the case of uh, the uh, uh, Turkish practice, it is not uh, so. So they were actually <laughs> were, uh, I would say, domestic foreigners uh, in many respects because. Uh, <coughs> first of all, they were never seriously become a part of uh, the domestic debate on democracy, on, on defending rights and discourse. So uh, recently, we see, we recently we see that thanks to media, thanks to the open space, we see that the Armenians uh, or Armenian demands or, or non-Muslim Greek Orthodox uh, scholars, uh, etc., uh, you know, public speakers, opinion makers are on the agenda, but uh, you know, uh, no one uh, was, uh, you know, uh, no one knew before that most of the cinema artists or most of the theater players or football players were Armenians, were Greek Orthodox, etc. They never uh, was, uh, were considered as, uh, you know, physically part of it. I'm not speaking about legal or the other segregations that they live in. Uh, in uh, you know in bureaucracy in public offices etc so so they were not physically there they uh, so uh, of course there's uh, their let's say their population increase decreased terribly because the, uh, the republic uh, you know uh, was established after a massive population exchange with greece so um, most of the greeks who lived in anatolia left uh, Turkey and went to uh, Greece and most of the Turks who live in Greece and and also in other Balkan countries came to Turkey so there were so the, the Anatolia was completely cleansed by uh, by uh, by cleans, cleansed by, by the treaties uh, from uh, or, uh, from uh, from uh, from other religions you know and also 1915 uh, uh, first world war the armenian massacres and removal of all armenians from uh, uh <coughs> from Eastern Anatolia uh, left uh, the country uh, mainly dominated by uh, Muslims and, and the Turkomans, uh, Alevis, who are living there. Uh, but this uh, this uh, this shrinking of population increased. Uh, Non-Muslims includes, uh, I mean, uh, Jews, uh, Greek Orthodox, and Armenians. Okay. Uh, so the Jews, uh, because of the uh, of the, uh, the, the head tax or varlık uh, vergisi, uh, wealth tax, uh, the, the, uh, a serious amount of Jews left uh, Turkey uh, in the 1942, and of course after the Isra establishment of Israel. Also, they left. Oh, more or less 25, 30,000 Jews are living in Turkey now. Greek Orthodox, uh, after this population exchange, uh, again suffered from uh, another uh, crisis in 1955-56, when the the Cyprus crisis emerged between Turkey and Greece. Uh, this affected the the Greek Orthodox who live in Istanbul. They had, um, you know, there was a mob, and the, their shops and their houses were attacked by uh, Turkish uh, people, and they had to leave the country, and uh, most of them uh, uh, simply uh, left their property there and uh, went there. So, uh, so uh, around 
uh, I would say 30, 35,000 uh, uh, Greek Orthodox are living in around Istanbul now. It's their <laughs> population is uh, even less, you say. Yeah, I, my, I don't know. I mean, uh, so, so the Armenians, they said uh, uh, 1915, after that, uh, 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 according to latest census based on religious, and this, uh, it was 1967. And since then they calculate, you know, and that they think that now 70, 75,000 Armenians are living in, in Turkey. So they are really minorities now. <laughs> so, and um, however, they have uh, their rights, uh, the, and the, but their issues are mainly framed within the within the minority thing, not as a freedom of religious thing, and uh, and uh, th that's why, for instance. Uh, sometimes when uh, there is a serious uh, issue of opening a Halki seminar school, which is uh, a priest seminar school in one of the islands of, uh, of Marmara uh, Sea, uh, the, the Turkish government reacts uh, that in, it's not a freedom of religion matter, it's a matter of re reciprocity between Turkey and Greece, because Greece is treating uh, the Muslims and the uh, mosques uh, like that, so we don't op uh, open that. So these, uh, do you see what uh, the debate there is from an official point of view is a matter of legal reciprocity because uh, the Armenian, the, uh, the minorities are there. They, this is not a matter of religious uh, freedom. And this is again uh, related with the, the Greek Orthodox Church's demand of ecumenical status. It was considered not as a freedom of religion, although EU says it is. It's, it is uh, considered as a, a, a matter of legality, uh, whether uh, the, uh, an international uh, legal status uh, to a religious group could be given uh, beyond uh, Turkish uh, legal legal system, because uh, the patriarch is now dependent on dependent uh, uh, on uh, local government government in Istanbul so it's a part of and and their all their issues uh, of property etc have been treated within the framework of uh, the foundations uh, there's a directory of foundations which deals with all these property issues and and as you see from the two from 2002 onwards uh, just and development party government uh, you uh, try uh, doesn't resolve the thing, the problems, once for all, for the non-Muslim minority. It uses kind of step-by-step -step technique, or, or when, it, when it feels itself under pressure, uh, opens a new church, or opens a, a new, uh, or, or re, uh, returns an orphan school, or, uh, or an opens a monastery, or returns a piece of land in Eastern, Eastern Anatolia, or opens, a, uh, opens another monastery. So this is, you know, there are many monasteries. Uh, so the, 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 the strategy that the government uh, follows is, you know, uh, is better than the previous one, actually. They were the ones who closed all and, uh, you know, let them collapse, but uh, the Justice and Development Party is not uh, resolving it uh, as a whole, too. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm not going to take much of my, your time with my talk, but I end up here. So the situation is more or less uh, here in terms of uh, religious freedom of religion in 
uh, within the context of Turkey-EU relations. So, thank you very much. And I'm open to questions, and I can, we can, we can also show uh, a few other things that uh, I prepared uh, with the questions. Do you want to have uh, Yes, we, I can have now yep. questions, okay. yes. And so here's the Oh, thanks. Yes. What can you say about the risky problems about the freedom of speech in Turkey? So we heard that uh, many people were arrested without any yes. uh, good uh, uh, interrogation or, uh, you know, uh, Especially the journalists. Journalists, exactly. Yes. How Especially. can you comment on this? Uh, shall we take two, three, and then I respond to the, yeah, uh, instead of one by one, if, if you permit me. Yeah. Yes. What's the outcome of, you know, where the protests took place two summers ago? Yes. Um, what's happened to that area in Istanbul? Yeah. I, I can take one more, yeah. Um, so I'd be interested to hear you elaborate a little bit more on the mechanisms of the EU's influence in Turkish politics. Yes. So I heard you say a lot about conditionality and international pressure. And I think I heard you say, kind of allude to what I would think of as maybe boomerang effects. You know, like, um, so where domestic um, <laughs> actors bring their complaints to, like civil society actors bring their complaints to external actors with influence, mm. and those external actors bring the demands back on the state. And I'm wondering, the last kind of mechanism I'm wondering about is kind of, to, to what extent do you see any, any evidence of persuasion as a mechanism of influence? Or do you I see. Mm. The responses really reflecting um, instrumental uh, concerns or considerations. Yes. Uh, so, in regards to freedom, freedom of situ press situation, I think that that started to deteriorate uh, from uh, 2008-2009 onwards because uh, the Kurds uh, gained uh, the uh, serious posts in local elections, and and uh, there was this. KCK, which is a, a kind of civil Kurdish organization uh, who was able to organize efficiently and very well manner the uh, election process. Then, uh, of course, the government felt threatened and, 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 and those uh, in, in, uh, on the eve of those elections and after that, uh, the street protests and etc. from the side of the Kurds increased, uh, expanded a lot. and. Uh, and uh, and some of the journalists uh, were uh, uh, were taken inside to to, uh, uh, to prison in those times. After uh, some many journalists were taken to prison after the Gezi Park events of the two summers ago, and also uh, they, uh, they took uh, journalists. I think. Uh, you know, from simply criticizing uh, Erdogan and, and the government. So the situation got uh, b worse and worse over the past four or five years. And, uh, and the government response to that is that they are, they are not doing journalistic work. 
they are either spying or provoking or carrying gun or carrying Molotov cocktails, etc. So, so the government uh, response to, to that was that they were not uh, doing journalistic work. But uh, I, the situation uh, in, with regard to journalists is not uh, very optimistic. Uh, uh, can I uh, uh, can I say that uh, there is a freedom of speech uh, in absolute terms in in Turkey? No, uh, this situation also got uh, worse and worse, and uh, especially uh, uh, President Erdogan personalizes many of the offenses, and he is not taking he is not very he is not a very take it easy person. I would say he is taking very seriously any bad words uh, <laughs> said to him. So uh, and, and they are also uh, after the Gezi Park events, especially uh, obsessed with uh, the journalists who are doing spying work, etc. And also the corruption scandal of the last year affected uh, much and. And this uh, pushed some of the journalists uh, to self-censor. Uh, and also they, uh, the government and Erdogan himself was uh, kind of involved with uh, you know, banish, bashing journalists in a few uh, major newspapers. And he is phoning them and just get rid of that guy from the post, etc. So, because there is, you know, we can speak about freedom of uh, press in Turkey, but, we, uh, that, that, but, but the press, the situation of press in Turkey is very, is not very, I would say, uh, democratic at all. Uh, it is in the hands of few uh, uh, big uh, owners of uh, press, and they were not uh, simply doing a press press work. They were also taking uh, many procurements and many, you know, other kind of benefits from the government. So, uh, you know, this is. Uh, so the and there is the the syndicates of the journalists is very weak, and also journalist civil society groups are very weak. And in, in that sense, you know, in when you look at the situation from an institutional point of view, it's very easy for a for an authoritarian leader to abuse all these uh, uh, weak institutional structure. So the the journalists is, are uh, at the mercy of the politicians and the owners uh, of of the journal. They banned Twitter for two weeks. And also, yeah, <laughs> that is what I call obsession, because uh, you know Erdogan is not very uh, in that technology. So uh, <laughs> and many uh, of his friends, I think, at the same time, are they are uh, they don't uh, like at all they, because they saw that it provoked a very wide protest in the case of the Gezi Park events. Since then, uh, they have uh, even they, he banned uh, to use Twitter to his own uh, stuff, you know, uh, because they they have you know kind of Twitter teams to respond to all these attacks. But you know, he said sometimes that you know I don't like I don't approve them either. You know, <laughs> so so this is uh, this is the situation and uh, the more the the more difficult thing is, you know, uh, the, the freedom of press is not easy to institutionalize in that respect. And the press syndicates are very weak, and they are in the hands of the owners of the of the uh, of those journals of the of those newspapers, which are in which are in business uh, with the government. 
So, uh, however, uh, this doesn't prevent, of course, to reflect many of the criticisms directed to Erdogan over the past few years. I mean, uh, just two days ago, there was a very strong article against the government in New York Times, and we were able to read it in, uh, in Turkish newspapers. And people are aware that there is a serious criticism of the government. So in that respect, uh, th there is a freedom, not a freedom of press, but freedom of information. You know, I mean, at least we can uh, get, I mean, if you follow some, uh, some of the newspapers. But there are, of course, some of the newspapers, there are newspapers that are completely defending and taking directions from the government. And this was so in uh, previous governments too. This is not a new phenomenon in Turkey. That is why, I mean, uh, so we, one should underline that. Creates very incorrect image of Islamic uh, culture uh, to outsiders. In the sense that uh, what? In the sense of what? You know, uh, our party uh, tries to uh, identify itself with Islam, Islamic yeah. spirituality. Yes. And uh, this uh, dictatorship and totalitarianism. Yeah, but there are other uh, stronger uh, and bad images of Islam that we see in Syria. And uh, I mean, Islam is not in uh, good. Uh, yeah, is not. Uh, Islam is unlucky in these days, I would say. Uh, so uh, the uh, the question in relation to uh, Gezi Park events, that is, uh, I would say I'm not very, you know, I receive this question in many places, you know, but I'm not kind of v uh, very excited to respond it or, or very optimistic about that. Two, two, two summers ago, uh, or three summers ago, I would say, this, uh, the, we faced with an incredible protest in, uh, in the main square of Istanbul. Uh, but uh, after that, this government gained local elections, this government gained uh, presidential elections, so they were uh, the, and, uh, in the anniversary, in the second anniversary of, uh, of the Gezi Party events, the protests were quite slim. So they, they were not able to consolidate this public protest, they was not able to consolidate a, a strong popular opposition or strong uh, opposition in, uh, of, of any kind. Uh, and also it, it didn't have, I think, a, a serious uh, political agenda which also disappoints many of the, uh, of the followers of that. Uh, in, and uh, somehow, uh, you know, uh, we can speak about uh, that it, it, it was also hijacked by the nationalist uh, groups uh, which were part of that uh, protest too. So in that sense, uh, my, my assessment of those protests is, uh, you know, disappointingly uh, low. Uh, and uh, I, 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 would ex I, ex I was expecting a kind of stronger uh, and more uh, uh, consolidated respond uh, to this government. However, uh, this of course affected the government. This is, as I mentioned, one of the reasons that they are obsessed with any kind of protests around. So they, you know, they want to check any kind of small protests or, or uh, in the remotest village in, uh, in Anatolia or in the, in the northern region as, uh, against uh, uh, Thermic Central, uh, they, were, you know, they were bashing them with very serious, very strong forces. So this, uh, this you know, triggered uh, a stronger authoritarianism uh, 
of the regime, I think, of the of the AK Party uh, government, and also of the of, of Erdogan himself too. So he uh, and um, one, uh, and one thing I should uh, also underline that uh, Erdogan's propaganda that this was uh, pro, pro, uh, provoked by the foreign press or the foreigners. Uh, it is an uh, outside conspiracy against the government actually uh, worked. Uh, we see it in the votes that uh, you know people uh, really uh, thought that uh, this was not simply a, a, a domestic, uh, spontaneous, uh, liberal uh, resistance to an authoritarian or growing authoritarian government. It was at the same time a, an outside conspiracy against this. So this, this also, this propaganda also worked, I think. Yeah, at least I can follow it in, you know, from my observation. In, uh, because Turkey is not uh, uh, simply Istanbul's main square. Turkey is a very large country. In when you look when you look at in different uh, places in Anatolia where they get uh, serious votes, uh, the reaction was quite conservative, of course. Yeah, and uh, so this was my response. And but the square is there, and recently, as uh, I heard, you know, uh, the, the local the head of local government in the uh, mayor in Istanbul, uh, you know, they said that the project is ready and they will. Uh, put it in place uh, when they find the time. That's why I think Erdogan is obsessed with that. That's why they are, they left it uh, as half cement uh, square there and they are waiting uh, for a time to rebuild uh, what they want to do. But let's see uh, whether we, they respond, they will face another uh, strong resistance of, of, the, of, of the people, yes. And, and mechanisms. Uh, <laughs> initially, uh, the Jennifer, uh, I think uh, the persuasion played a role, uh, especially in 1999. Uh, this was uh, not simply that uh, at, at that time uh, Bülent Ecevit was uh, prime minister, and he, uh, you know, uh, he said uh, that uh, you know the European was offer was good first of all. And secondly, he, he said openly that uh, Turkey was part of European civilization, so, uh, and Turkey uh, is a democratic country, and they should do what is necessarily to be done. So they were able to issue two reform packages after that, uh, until 2002, and also a national program. Uh, the first national program, which outlines the mid-term and long-term uh, reforms, etc. And uh, in, uh, uh, after that, you know, I was living at that time in, uh, in, uh, in Ankara and I was able to conduct few interviews among the ministries and the EU offices within the ministries, etc. There is, uh, within Turkish bureaucracy, a serious group uh, that they could save the state. They could, you know, this is an old uh, committee of union and progress, or the old young Turk saying, uh, say they could save the state uh, with the EU reforms. So there was this idea that the reform uh, done uh, with the EU or under the pressure EU is actually good for the state. Is actually good for uh, the, the Turkish. Uh, State. So there, these were the motivations. It, whether it was a genuinely democratic move, uh, I would, if I would uh, put 
saving the state or a democratization balance, I would say that the bureaucracy's uh, you know, pressure on the government is on the side of saving the state. So they, the, the 2001 crisis, and after that, you know, the paralyzed uh, economy and paralyzed politics uh, left uh, uh, many uh, of the governing elite uh, to act in that terms, I think. Yeah. So. Yes, please. Yes, yeah. you are. I just saw a question that's not directly related to what I talked today, but I want to ask you about um, what you felt the uh, effect of Turkey's selective enforcement of the Montreal Convention of 1936 had on its relation with the West and with Russia. What? I didn't understand. With the Montreal uh, Convention. I'm not aware of that. I don't, I don't know. So Montreal Convention of... It's the one that uh, stipulates Turkey has control over the Dardanelles and the Bosporus Strait. Of the Dardanelles? Huh? You mean the Montreal? Uh, huh? yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah, of course. Montreal. 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 Uh, you said Montreal. That's why I'm not... Uh, and yeah. Yeah. So Turkey uh, controls the, uh, the Straits and, uh, and of course the Mo Montreal Convention gives a free passage uh, in times of uh, peace. Uh, that's why uh, as long as there is no war and the ships are not going to support that war, that uh, is, uh, that is uh, what Turkey implements. And I think uh, this is an important, this might be an important thing uh, if, the, if the problems in Ukraine gets uh, you know, worse and worse. So there, uh, if there will be a NATO intervention or if there could be another kind of intervention, so they will see it. And, uh, uh, but from the Russian side, I think the, the point is quite clear. Uh, so they, uh, they want, uh, the, 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 they pressurize Turkey on the, uh, not to allow, of course, any ship that would uh, go and support insurgency in Ukraine. Yes. Uh, do you think that Turkey would continue to be a member of NATO or slowly and gradually move out? Uh, I think it will continue to be part of NATO because uh, Turkey, since the Second World War, uh, you know, they officially followed the multilateralist policy, foreign policy in the sense that it, it gave uh, a lot significance to membership to international institutions and, interna uh, and international law. So uh, there is in the foreign ministry a very strong legalist and uh, institutionalist group <laughs> that uh, uh, that gives uh, a lot of importance to that. And I have been, you know, recently I think there was uh, an article uh, in one of the major newspapers whether Turkey seriously follows the NATO rules, etc. I, I, you know, I uh, started to. Uh, listen or, or read those uh, uh, those kind of news as uh, somehow you know biased towards Turkey. Turkey uh, actually uh, did a lot uh, that serves the Western interest, but uh, and but the recent government 
you know, followed a relatively autonomous foreign policy. Uh, they wanted to keep their uh, uh, their interests in uh, in Syria and, and in the case of Iraq, and I think Tur uh, Turkey has the right has a right to do that. You know, Turkey uh, uh, Turkey cannot follow the French interest in Syria always, or you know, the American interest in uh, in Iraq always. So this is, that is a problem, uh, and and uh, and uh, the, uh, if the if the result of this is you know criticizing Turkey vocally in international arena, they they can do. But I don't think Turkey uh, that uh, that derive comes from Turkey. I don't think that Turkey will not uh, pull out from NATO in uh, and that. Uh, and I don't know whether the NATO members c uh, have the right to. <laughs> expulse any country from the membership. I think I, there is a, an option of going out of uh, the EU, but uh, I'm not sure uh, whether this is true what for NATO. In the post-Soviet period, what is for Turkey to gain to stay in NATO? To stay in NATO, you mean? Yeah. What is to There are two levels of answers to that. First of all, Still, the foreign ministry and the top level of the army uh, is tied to NATO. So the governing elite and the bureaucratic elite, so they are the ones who keep that relationship, okay? And uh, of course, they solve uh, the need and, uh, and the possibility of expanding their interests uh, with relations with Russia and even Probably they saw that they could, uh, you know, they could cooperate with Russia in Syria. They could cooperate with Russia uh, in uh, in relation to Armenia or uh, Georgia, etc. However, uh, you know, the, there was a specific group who who is seriously who, who was seriously defending uh, this idea. And they were persecuted uh, as a result of uh, those two, three cases, uh, judiciary, judiciary cases, Balios and Argeneko. They were, these were the, these were the, uh, I, I can't explain the whole details of that, but they, uh, there was an internal <laughs> coup probably within the army that gets rid of uh, this anti-Westernist or, uh, or completely independent uh, foreign policy. So, uh, uh, so within uh, the army and, and the foreign ministry, I see that uh, th there is a uh, there is a there is a strong group defending the relations with uh, still uh, along the lines of NATO. However, I mean uh, the pressure from the Western side towards Turkey, uh, we don't know where it will arrive. And uh, their hatred towards Erdogan uh, also might arrive to points where Erdogan, if he stays in power, could act in uh, different ways, and they try to do, of course. And uh, so, the, uh, if I would say that the, the Western orientation of uh, foreign ministry and the army is clear, I can't say it for the government. Because government uh, sees all these as conspiracies against uh, itself, and then there is uh, we come to a critical point, I think, in terms of that. But the government is, sta is still in there; uh, they didn't fall. Yeah. 
is it uh, explanatory uh, what I'm trying to say? Does it satisfy your answer? Yeah. <laughs> Response, yeah. So the, the, the gain is clear. The gain is economic and institutionalist and identity, etc. Uh, so, yes, Marcus. I think as I understood you before, you sort of said that, that the EU kind of sort of um, favored Erdogan and, and his party because it was less authoritarian than the previous military. Of course, yes. Would it be fair to say, but Erdogan was still not democratic enough for him to meet the EU standards of democracy? Uh, th that is f completely fair. However, uh, no one can reject what I uh, have uh, drawn here. Mm -hmm. is from 2002 to 2009, the EU support towards uh, the Justice and Development Party was absolute. Mm -hmm. no, no, even the le European leaders, they can't say. They, they completely supported what the government said they supported their foreign policy aims of zero problems with neighbors too. They celebrated uh, uh, Turkey-Armenian, uh, you know, the protocol of opening the borders. They celebrated uh, Turkey and Syria doing, uh, let's say, organizing common ministerial meetings. They celebrated Turkey's uh, approach towards the Kurds in northern Iraq. I, I would count, uh, you know, many <laughs> examples of that. He was good enough to keep the military in check, but then he wasn't good enough to sort of meet the EU standards for proceeding with the accession. Yeah, but yeah, actually, uh, EU didn't want. Uh, uh, EU made some f look from the from the late 2005 onwards. Despite the opening of negotiations, the signals coming from the EU was not optimistic at all. Austrians said that we can't absorb new members. This absorption capacity debate. And later, uh, Germans said uh, privileged partnership. And then there was a crisis. And the French said. Uh, okay, we don't open the uh, the financial uh, chapter because it leads to uh, membership, and and Turkey is not supposed to be a member. So the signals coming from the EU side was not promising at all. So that's why this helped uh, the government uh, to look for other uh, policy options and uh, keep the EU negotiations, relanti, uh, what is that? You know, uh, yeah, uh, going slowly and slowly. Yeah. Yes, professor. Given that analysis, does the Ukraine fit into this particular relationship in terms of Turkey thinking about what it might be able to extract from the EU in terms of membership? Uh, sorry, I didn't understand. Does the Ukrainian situation yes. give Turkey leverage with the European Union? I think yes. Because, you know, when I'm questioned uh, whether Turkey will be a member of the EU or not, you know, uh, many people uh, expect a very pessimistic answer that they won't, uh, Turkey will never be. I don't think so, because uh, Europeans also learned that they had to change their geopolitical and geographical imagination, that the EU uh, and the Europe is not just uh, continental Europe, and there are crises, very serious crises, where they need uh, Turkey. And, uh, and uh, Syria and Ukraine are uh, quite good examples. And Turkey, I don't think that lost uh, its whole credibility in the region. Because, you know, uh, we are not at least in civil war. And our economy, uh, you know, uh, keeps uh, going fine, you know. Uh, so they, they are not very happy with, with Erdogan. 
uh, that is for, for sure. They don't like him. They don't like to deal him because uh, he is the he has a kind of very strong personal style, and uh, and this uh, this is not good for the Europeans that are used to seeing Turkey as a junior partner that can be uh, you know played with. So the democracy didn't bring uh, what the Europeans wanted from Turkey, unfortunately. And uh, the, this I can tell you because, you know, uh, the peace process with the Kurds also uh, is not going bad. So, so Turkey more or less is able to resolve its domestic problems too. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I say this, of course, you know, with all my moderation and, uh, and uh, limits of what can be done in, the, in that respect. Yes. Um, I'd be interested to hear you say a little bit more about how you think um, parties within Turkey, so um, in particular AK Party, but perhaps also other parties, have used the EU as a tool within domestic politics against competitors. Yes, I will have a very strong criticism of the Republican People's Party. Now, you know, the other day I saw uh, a friend of mine, Aykan Erdemir, who is one of the f most, uh, you know, uh, fashionable international uh, deputies of that. I, I told him, and the other day I was in a, uh, in a big conference where the Republican People's Party knew and uh, uh, old diplomats and all uh, these pro-republicanist uh, uh, bureaucrats were around. And uh, their questions to uh, republic, uh, their, there were questions against them. What is, what is your project? What is your? So they said, we are the leading defender of the relations with the West and, in particular, the EU. Okay, but this is too late. They had to make uh, all those uh, serious uh, changes in the early 2000s when uh, the AK Party was the, was the one who carried that. And they were the ones who were against the Cyprus negotiations. They were the ones who were against the decentralization uh, bills, which was passed by, uh, by the AK Party. They were the ones. Uh, of opening the freedom of speech, etc., uh, in terms of uh, the Kurd Kurdish situation, etc. So, so they are now, uh, you know, the, the time factor is important. Yeah? When uh, and uh, the, and the secularist Republican People pa Republican People's Party were not supposed to be against the EU, but you know they were against the EU and they let they left that space. Uh, to Erdogan, uh, which uh, the, who used it masterfully uh, to gain leverage against the army, against the opposition, etc. Now they are saying that they are pro-European and they are the contact points of the West in Turkey. Very good, but the but the population is quite nationalistic, and they saw that conspiracy idea very seriously, I think. So uh, I'm, you know, I'm not giving very good answers to these or expected answers, but uh, the mood of the people uh, is not neither on the side of the EU, because EU is not a credible actor now, like it was in the early 2000s. 
uh, publication of EU report or or uh, or a EU Parliament's de uh, decision of this and that it doesn't affect very much. EU's credibility is probably in its lowest uh, level uh, since uh, the late 2000, uh, since the early, uh, since the late 1990s, because of their internal crisis because of the lack of membership perspective because of the Ukrainian crisis because of other crisis uh, so so uh, siding uh, with the EU make the EU's please but will not bring them uh, votes unfortunately that is my feeling uh, my perception of the things I <laughs> so That is what I can say. Any other questions? Yes. No. Well, thank you very much. This was wonderful. Thank yeah. you all for coming. Thank you very much.